Hi, Jim. Hi, David. Been a wonderful day today. Tired. It has. I took my kid to the farm today. Yeah, so you went to the uh, the pumpkin patch thing, yeah, right? The pumpkin patch thing. Yep. And I froze I my ass it. off because it was like 48 degrees. And I wore what, what Duluth Trading Company calls a shirt jack, which is very warm. But the problem was I hadn't eaten properly this morning. So we did the the uh, the hayride and I'm just like shivering in the wind. So the first thing I did as I got off there was I ran to the place where you could get a hamburger and yep. had some like warm food. Yes. Um, I, I, I tried to warn you that most people think that you don't have to have the right calories or liquids for. Um, no, um, I thought I had eaten better this morning. And then when we got there, I was like thinking about this. I was getting out of the car. I was like, oh, crap. Like I didn't yeah. eat the right shit. So, so what does what does burning calories do? Creates heat, creates heat internally, internally, yeah. which is why um, uh, us chubby folks enjoy a good warm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving We're on. We're always warm. All right. So, um, I I guess I should go first for what the what's new here. I have it on my notes that I will go first. Somewhere on my desk is is this this new boss product. Um, the enclosure is white and, um, white and orange and it says chromatic tuner TU3. So nobody freak out. I'm not killing year of no gear here or anything like that. Um, this is, this is a tuner. Um, it's not a Tuma. It's a tuner. And, um, yeah. So the reason why I bought a tuner, um, was not just so I could have a you know a pedal tuner laying around. I have the Helix. The Helix got a built-in tuner. I have two clip-on tuners, and then of course I have my tuner in my DAW, which is what I usually use because basically what I do around the house most of the time is tracked anyway. Um, but I today went to go tune up. I actually changed the strings on my uh, my uh, Indonesian S five hundred, and. Um, when I switched all the strings out and I tuned it up using the helix, I was like, wait a minute, this thing's still out of tune. Like what the hell's going on here? So then I threw, um, one of my clip on tuners and it, it was said it was out and I tuned to that. And then I threw it into the DAW because it still sounded out and it turned out that that was the only thing that was working properly. Uh, and my, my two clip on tuners, they're okay. Like they get, they get close enough, but I just don't think that they're, you know, where I want them to be. And the helix tuner, it's the only gripe that you will see in the Helix users group, like consistently is people like the tuner sucks. Um, I don't think the tuner's terrible. I think what people are expecting out of it is it to be like the best tuner on earth. And um, it's, I mean, I had, so years ago I had the line six flex on three XL and had a tuner built into it. The tuner on that was great. Uh, the tuner on this is shit in comparison on the, uh, the Helix. So, I have a TU3 now uh, after just, you know, using it to tune up my guitars today, this afternoon. Um, I, it is without a doubt the best tuner I've ever used outside of a strobe tuner. Yep. Um, can't go wrong. TU3. There's a reason that, yeah, I, there is a reason. First of all, I've been using the TU since I, I, I believe the TU came out, at least to, to the, to the masses. And I think that was in the nineties. And, and I've had a TU2 since 2001, 2000, and I've had a TU3 now for years. Um, so, 
And I only bought the TU3 because my TU2 died, not because I wanted some fancy new thing that TU3 does. So to be honest with you, well, the TU- I've never had a problem seeing it on stage, um, regardless of the amount of sunlight. We talked about that last, uh, um, last podcast, about sunlight and everything else. Never had a problem seeing it. Never had a problem, you know, with it being. Um, uh, the TU one, if I recall, I'm just going back in accurate. history here. The TU one was a little box thing, right? That you had like a flip yep. cover on it. Yeah, I've used yep. those before. Um, the TU two, I've used a couple of times. I had a Polytune, and that's what I've used on my board for probably the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and my Polytune got sold when I got my Helix. So I'm like, oh, the Helix is going to have a tuner in it. Um, right. And now I'm like, fuck, the Helix has a tuner in it, and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, well, you know, I, I have not been ever impressed with any of the built-in tuners, of amplifiers, or special effects units. So I'm not really surprised, although I think that, that the folks at Line 6 could do a better job, because that's got to be a software yeah, when I show you, well, so apparently it was it was better when they when it first came out, but people were bitching, so they actually made some modifications to it, and most people, by all accounts, say now that it's worse. Um, that actually it was probably too accurate to begin with. So the problem is accuracy versus speed, and that's where I think Boss gets it so right is that when you use the the Boss Chromatic Tuner, um, it 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 will immediately tell you what pitch you're at. And it reacts almost in real time to you turning the the tuning keys. Whereas the Helix stutters. It's weird. Like you'll hit a note and it'll say it's this, and then you'll turn the key and then it'll say it's on to, on pitch. And you'll hit the same note again and then it's off. And you're like, what the hell? And it's because the display on the Helix doesn't match like in real time to what you're doing very well, and it's it's almost too sensitive. Um, yeah, I would I would laugh if the reason the Helix tuner sucks is because they don't put a, a low pass filter on it. I don't know. I don't know if it's um, so, you know, that the tuning is because it's, it's detecting and then it does the, you know, my, yeah. um, well, analysis of the wave. And then it says, OK, yeah, I'm but just- but so the analysis of the wave can get really fucked up when you start adding in all these other harmonics. And so if you get everything below I, most of your guitar frequencies, like your fundamentals are going to be around 400 hertz. So if you yep. do, if you cut everything off uh, off above a thousand, you know, one K and just drop that stuff to the floor. It sh- the tuner should work better in general because yeah. um, it's not going to it's not going to have to decipher all these odd order harmonics and even order harmonics that are, you know, disposed that are, you know, going through the tuner normally. Right. Which is what makes it difficult. Um, and just my my experience with MIDI guitar um, tells me that it shouldn't be as big an issue on the treble strings um, to detect pitch. But on no. the lower strings, where the where the um, frequencies are so far apart, like the actual beats are farther apart um, yep. to the machine, it's harder to decipher. I think the yeah. he, the Helix does an equally shitty job on the treble strings as the bass strings. So oh, that's yeah. yeah. There's not much excuse for that. That that's what I was getting at. So when you when you're um, well, when the device is monitoring uh, a wave, um, typically a low. A low frequency takes longer to decipher than a high frequency. Correct. And I'm wondering if what they're doing is not taking a big enough sample. I'm not, I'm not sure because, like you said, it's if it's too fast, that could be that could be a problem. Well, let's face least, it. Line six has never put out a standalone tuner. Plus, the the no, it hasn't. Um, the initial attack you see it in every tuner. You see the initial attack of the of the pick on the strings that creates a. Um, a whole set of 
its own problems, I, making it look sharp. Uh, personally, my my suspect thing that that's going on over there is that they don't have very good pitch detection software in general. Mm-hmm. And and so they don't have the code base to to build a proper tuner. And the reason oh. why I say that is they don't have any polyphonic effects like like pitch shifting or anything in their in their stuff that works really well. The tracking is usually pretty shitty. Um and they've always written it off to the fact, well these these effects didn't track well, you know, when they were analog effects or whatever and in the case of the digital ones it's like, well, you know, these are not they they just make everything monophonic or they, you know, they do weird stuff like that. And whereas other manufacturers, I mean, I'm trying to think like, like Eventide, they, their stuff tracks pretty well and it can do, you know, uh, polyphony and all that. So I don't know. I don't, I don't buy what they're saying. I think they, they probably Yamaha needs to invest some money in the company and get themselves a good engineer to get them up to speed with that stuff. Um, Cause it just sounds like they're kind of like behind the times. So I don't know. Line six, you want to you chime in? Feel free to see yeah. me, shoot me an email. I'm, I'd be more than willing think, to talk to you about it. Um, now, I know that, that uh, Wampler has talked. Um, he's, a, he's a real stickler about tuning. And I want to say, could be, I could be remembering wrong, but I want to say a couple months ago, I heard him hinting to the fact that he might be developing a tuner. I hope so. Um, I, he's got tough, tough shit to fill, though, with the, the TU3 being that good for 99 bucks. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, there's no question about that. I think the TU2 used to have like a strobe mode. Well, it went like, well I know the three does. Yeah. Oh, so the three does too. Okay. I thought so. Yeah. Um, I don't use it. I don't, I actually, I, I found the strobe mode to be, um, it was easier to use the regular mode to be honest with you. Cause I, yeah. cause I use the strobe mode in my, when I was using my uh, polytune, like my all polytune, the time. I always use the strobe mode. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, well, and I had, uh, my guitar instructor had one of the uh, first like Peterson strobo stomp things. Right. And, uh, yep. so I was used to that. I have the app on my phone and actually believe it or not, that's what I'd been using for a tuner most of the time, which yeah. is why this right here is a godsend. Uh-huh. Um, yep. because, now I don't have to worry about my phone microphone picking up other shit in the room or. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Oh, that's been the only problem. Abysmal. You're like the acoustic guitarist. It's like, shh, shh. I'm trying to, I'm trying to tune my guitar. Well, I do. I, you know, I can do a decent job of tuning my ear to the point where like, as long right. as I have a good reference pitch, nobody's going to know the difference. Um, but at this point, it's just, I need to be able to just tune up and not worry about it. So I've, if that makes me break year of no gear and you guys all think that that's like, Oh, he failed. Screw you. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's a, a tuner is a, is not a piece of so, phone gear. Speaking well, of breaking year of no gear. Uh, let's talk about my pickup mule for a minute. Well, let's talk about my pickup mule for a <laughs> Oh, did you get one yet? I get to go first. And, and we got to take turns here, pal. Did, did you did, No, you didn't get one though. Well, I didn't. Uh, all right, so I put um, I put money down so that it's not gone. Yeah, but that's not I your pickup a, mule. Well, that's it. That's it's, your. It's going to be for my. That's your yeah. new guitar that you don't have yet. Oh, that's. <laughs> that's not. That's not. Let's not be too. <laughs> what? You mean I? I broken my three months of no gear. No, you're all right. right. So, no, you're like three days. <laughs> Shit. 
three oh, months. Come on. It's been it's been a month. At yeah, least. it's been a couple weeks since you um, had some money in your pocket. So yeah, <laughs> so I put money down. Yeah, I put money down. I couldn't let it go. Um, unfortunately, I had an unforeseen um, expense, uh, so that kind of put me off a little bit. But shit happens. Um, I had to buy, yeah, I had to buy a um, a windshield. Uh, for my car. Hey, I still haven't gotten around to fixing my fucking, uh, my, my, uh, dishwasher that blew up and caught fire. Oh, geez. Yeah. I think I would have done that by now, but anyway, um, so I, I took what, um, I could, and I put down money, um, most of it on a, uh, 2008 Fender Strat, uh, standard. Um, now this is, believe it or not, this is my single, this will be my single coil pickup mule. Is that technically a Mexican standard strat? This is a Mexican standard. Yeah, technically. Yeah, yeah okay. Technically. Even though they call it, I, I mean, at some point they removed, I think that's relatively recent, right? That they removed the standard. That was this year. Yeah. From America. Right? That was this year. America. That was yeah. this year. So there used to be American standard and Mexican standard. This is a Mexican standard. Okay. Um, 2008, that is in, like, it, it's like the person had it in yeah. there. Yeah. It was obviously case kept and like they yeah. never played it. The plastic was still peeling away from the um, pick guard and yeah. there's no, there's no pick uh, scratches. There's nothing on the back, no buckle rash, no t-shirt. It, rash, is it possible nothing. this was a collector's piece? Cause I know people buy them and like just stick them up thinking they're going to be worth something. That, that That's what I'm thinking. And they put it in a tweed case. Yeah. It's got a, this has got a um, rectangular a tweed case, which is, which is not an inexpensive add on. And for four hundred and sixty nine dollars, yeah, four sixty nine. Is it a that's, is it a, a G and G and B case company case or is it an aftermarket? Um, I think I it's G and B. I can't say because of the fact that it's still it, I didn't get to see the case. Oh, okay. I just know it's a, All right, it's a it's a standard. Um, yeah, tweed like tweed. Case. All right, you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, I. I it could be aftermarket. It could be somebody who bought it with another fender. All I know is the guy that, um, you know, the, the representative from uh, guitar center came down and said, he said, it's probably just one of those molded cases. I'm like, yeah, it's probably a piece of, he came back to me and he goes, Jim, this is a really nice tweed case. It's not one of your, yeah. Cheap, the, ca- uh, the case is worth more than the guitar. <laughs> yeah, the, ch- the case. Well, let's see a Mexican standard back then would have gone for what? 700 bucks. Uh, Six hundred. I would. I would think that would be yeah around the six hundred fifty mark. Yep. So, um, I'm getting it for four sixty nine with the with the tweed case. Not bad. Not bad. Nope. It looks good too. I'll be honest with you. I I think the uh, candy is it candy apple red with uh, candy apple red. Yeah. There's a there's a um, close up on in the group. Looks of a bit it. like this. Yeah. That is correct. I got my Wampler Pinnacle Deluxe is sitting on the table here next to me. It would look so good with a Pinnacle Deluxe. It's coming your way eventually. I'm, I, I I do intend to send this to you. I have literally. You know, not, I have I have the boss. Um, uh, the blues the driver modified but boxed boss. up, right? It's boxed yeah, up and boxed everything. Boxed up with your address on it. I just got to get it. To- <laughs> well, at the very minimum, I'll mail you this guy because I've been talking about doing this since the show started, and then uh, we I'll get the pinnacle to you later. Um. So anyway. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to do a demo with that yet. We're going to. It's it's coming. It's just a matter of time. Uh, I got to get my Van Halen chops up before I can do that. So I was I was experimenting the other day 
um, trying to get my whammy bar and uh, tapping antics back in order. But um, I haven't played Van Halen tunes in a very long time. Um, but yeah, so you're you're looking at the strat. You want to tell the uh, tell the tell the listeners about our conversation this evening, the back and forth. Oh, yeah. So, so Jim doesn't have. No, bear in mind, Jim's got this guitar in layaway right now. He doesn't actually have right. this guitar in his possession. I've I've played it all of like three and a half minutes, but I did love the feel of the neck, I, and it's light, super light, um, and uh, which which is obviously a big plus. It's got it's about the same as my um, CE. Um, but our conversation went. I said, "Well, I was looking at the string tray, and I was like, well, maybe I'll get.'" Um, the better string tree, the, the, ro- the roller string trees, the roller like, string not trees. the better ones, the Rolls right. Royce of string trees. The Rolls you know? Royce, yeah. yeah. Well, they're not that expensive. They're Rolls no, Royces, no, but... but they're like twenty bucks. I mean, but the thing is that um, for the two of them. But the thing is that uh, uh, then David goes, "Well, you don't need those. If we're going to get locking tuners that are staggered locking tuners, yeah, you That's shouldn't. Not. I mean, actually, yeah. as I look at my S five hundred here, it does have a string tree, but it's a tusk string tree." And yep. I am using it, but it's noticeably lower profile than what you would typically see. Yeah. So I don't. I think it's just there for looks, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know. Now this thing that Jason Fuzzmonger showed us in the group, the um, Liberator, yeah, from Seymour Duncan. Yep. Now is that is that something you'd use for a Strat? Can we still uh, use yeah. that? Uh, well, it's five hundred K. So your your typical Strat pots are two fifty. But That's if you wanted to, you could put one of those in there. I mean, all it's just going to do is open up the treble a little bit. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, the question was, yeah, so that thing is probably more, I, I thought it was more Gibson. Yeah, well, they, I mean, Seymour Duncan wants you to put five, 500K pots in for anything. Everything. They, they just don't That's care. True. So, um, personally, I had, so I my, I had, I outfitted my Strat with 500K at one point, and then I went back to 250 because I felt like I was actually getting too much treble. Yeah, your mileage may vary. So I, I mean, everybody likes their electronics a certain way. So I mean, if you could live with a 500k volume pot, then go for it. Um, or use it as one of the tone pots, and you'll never use it anyway. You know what I mean? So most people don't. You really use their tone pots on a Strat. Maybe I'm talking out my ass. Um. That's why I like the GNL design because you get, you know, a bass control and a treble control instead of a tone control. Yeah. I just want to make it so that when we're swatching these things out, it's just easier to do. Yeah. I mean, you can do the same thing with alligator clips, which is why I'm like, I don't even know if it's necessary. Um, I haven't decided what I'm doing yet. I may buy one of those yet. It depends. And that really depends on the fact that uh, I may be putting some money into parts on this. this Ibanez when it comes in. <laughs> so, all right. So one more thing before you get to that. Um, our, our plat, our last, uh, podcast. Yeah. You had mentioned it should have been clapped. Yeah. We, we have a, we have somebody that, that, uh, said hashtag should have been clapped. And yeah, it should have been clapped. Was that the wor- then, wor- words heard around the world? Yeah. John, John Osborne put that in there. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, although, I mean, obviously nobody's saying that they want Clapton. No, absolutely not. not. In fact, I said it on the episode. I said, look, nobody really wants to see anybody die. No. But at the same time, and yes, I'm winking and laughing about this. If I had a choice. (laughs) Right. If it, but it really should. I mean, 
It's it's a terrible thing. That's like um, uh, the whole Big Bopper thing, right? Yeah, Wasn't oh, that, yeah, absolutely. That was a seat um, that uh, who was it that wasn't supposed to be on there? Was it Valens? Valens yeah, wasn't supposed to be yeah, on there. Yeah, I think so. Be, well, it was supposed to be for for the Holly or uh, Buddy Holly's band, right? They Buddy were supposed Holly, to take yeah. the plant the plane, and I, his two bandmates gave up the Crickets gave up their seat yep. for. Richie Valens and the Big Bopper, so they ended up dying in the plane crash. Yeah, I mean that's that's a horrible thing to think about. We lost, yeah, we lost a lot of very uh, very talented people. And back to um, funny stuff. Um, Eric Bailey put a picture of um, Willie Nelson saying, "I think youngsters need to start thinking about the kind of world they're going to leave for me and Keith Richards." Didn't we lose a Jennings in that plane crash too? I thought we did. Did we lose? Was it Whalen? I think so. I'm Googling. I, maybe he's the one that, that gave up the seat. I remember that somebody gave up their seat. for. Yeah, um, it might have been that. Cause, Richie Valens. Like I'm, I'm just thinking, no, because he was still active in 2000. So I don't think he, oh. if he did pass, it was, yeah, he died age 64 in 2002. So why am I thinking? There was somebody else in that plane. It was Dion that was supposed to be on that seat. So yeah, uh, Valens and Dion flipped a coin for the seat. Right, right. And um, Jennings. Uh, no mention is made of. So it was a, it was a thing that um, no mention is made of um, Jennings or else being invited on the plane. So he wasn't really supposed to be on it. Yeah, because Jennings was what was supposed to be well in Jennings on the plane, according to a few people. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about that over the years. I don't think that that the events of that night are really like set in stone. There, yeah. I know about the coin flip thing, but yep. I'm not sure because I've heard very varying stories about that. Like the coin flip was for Waylon Jennings' seat or whatever, and there was there's a whole thing on that. Um, wow, what a different world it would have been been if Waylon Jennings had got on that plane. I mean, oh, yeah. you talk about a guy that that was if not in in the limelight behind everybody in the limelight you know for a very long time um involved with you know Willie Nelson and a ton of other people um well you know um thinking about that the um the number of people uh who we've lost in plane cl- crashes like that yeah dude. Um, and and helicopters um we've got uh Leonard Skinner. Yeah, but it's because the they keep hiring these amateur pilots because they want cheap they want cheap labor to get from place to place, and yep. they hire amateur pilots. Look at the guy that, that killed uh, Stevie Ray. I mean, he was not licensed to fly at night. Uh, we got um, a, a, one that a lot of people don't talk about, but an incredible acoustic guitar player and songwriter, Jim Croce. Yeah. Um, he never got uh, past the... Uh, much past the runway and the pilot didn't get over the, um, the pecan trees or the peach trees, Tim, John Denver, there's yep, uh, John Leonard Denver. Skinner, but um, John Denver, another one that wasn't supposed to be flying that plane. He was, yeah, he was not supposed to be flying that plane. As a matter of fact, he'd had two, he wasn't supposed to be flying at all. Yeah. That was just a, a, a joy ride too. From my understanding, I don't think there was like a, there no. was like a my, trip to um, get somewhere. My cube made at work was literally one of the people that was on the um, our, our rescue mission for that. Ugh. And they never did. During his time in the rescue mission, they didn't find him. Yeah, I'm sure there's it been was, others over the years, obviously too. Later. Yeah. Um, 
you know, yeah, you, know you don't hear about sad. many people dying from tour bus accidents except for the you know um the guy from metallica well, had, cliff cliff Burton. um well i can i can name two more there was um uh reba mcintyre's bus and oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um Oh, who's the one that uh, come up, baby? Do that, come up, beep. Da, 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 da. Miami Sound Machine. Oh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't lost. heard about that one. That's why they had to take a break. Um, she couldn't. Come oh, that's to grips. right. Because yep. she had that ac- that terrible accident, and then like she had to take time off, and yeah, that was yep. the whole thing too. Um, yeah. Of course, we've had lots of non-fatal like bus accidents and stuff. We had, you know, the guy in Def Leppard lost an arm. Well, uh, that was a that was a car accident. He was drunk driving. Oh, I thought that something. Was, I thought he, he stuck his yeah, arm was, out of the tour bus. Nope, he was driving. <laughs> no, that's a funny story. That's the story I've been I mean, told in I various mean, like places. That'd be like the Simpsons. I remember one when uh, um, Bart goes. The the teacher was saying, "Don't stick your arm out the window, or you might lose an arm." And Bart puts his arm in his shirt and he says. I was that boy. Yeah, so it was um, a, it was a car accident. I I, yep. I never looked it up. Um yep, it was it never was, important uh, to me. Um car accident with Miriam Bar- Barons in, in the English countryside. Yep. Yep. He was driving his Ferrari or something. something. Corvette C4. Corvette, yeah. And they um uh, he wrecked it. They were able to reattach the arm, but they had and to reboot yeah, it. Yeah, because it because it became infected and Yeah. Sad sad story. Well, Man, he overcame just, it. Oh holy, yeah, holy shit, guys, did he? <laughs> I watched him do a solo. Obviously, he has some help from electronics, but I watched him do a drum solo a few weeks ago, and uh, right here in Virginia Beach, just to incredible. Be to, just to be able to figure that out. I mean, it's not even yeah. just the fact that like uh, he had to compensate for it and come up with a different style of drumming. Like, yeah, everybody's done that at some point. Um, yeah. But he he like came up with this electronic wizardry to make it all work and be able to play some of the older tunes too, which is pretty impressive. Because um, yeah. that was right before their biggest record, um, the one pour some sugar on me and all that stuff. So yeah. Um, speaking of that, that uh, Jason Newstead, um, I know we talked to him about him last week. He had to relearn how to play uh, bass uh, because of his arm. He got his his uh, arm was pulled out of its socket. I always wonder way of feeling and, you know, I always wonder you hear about these guys have to relearn the instrument and like they have so much intuitive knowledge of music at that point because they've done it for so long and they've worked really hard to make sure their timing stuff. relearning the the actual musculature of moving and stuff is probably not as hard as getting all that timing and stuff down. Right. Yeah, because you're you're telling all kinds of new nerves that you weren't talking to before right. to do a job. That's that's it's a scary thing. I've always uh, I've always been very protective of uh, of myself in that respect, um, just because I I can't imagine doing it. I I tore my finger up um, when I was a kid, but luckily it was all my right hand. Most of my most of my right hand has been eaten up from here to here. Um, through this this part, yeah. But so, luckily, I don't fret with that hand. But I have a heck of a time finger picking as a result. So, so let, let's switch gears. Let's go to uh, let's go to your mule. Can we talk so, about Can we talk about Evil Bay? That could be the, yeah. Let's that talk could be about this. Evil so, Bay. Okay. Let's begin with Evil Bay All right. and the pig in a poke. Yes. So Evil Bay, uh, for those of you that are not aware, is a slang term for eBay that I like. It has evil inside. 
And um, when you go to Evil Bay and you buy something, typically you're going to pay with PayPal, right? Or you can pay with a credit card. Um, the guitar that I purchased, and I talked about it on the last episode, um, I, I received a message actually the following morning from the from the the uh, seller saying, basically, uh, can we please re, you know process a payment in a different method other than PayPal? Uh, because it's going to take me time to get the money out of my PayPal account. And my response was basically, I've already paid. Um, and I paid through eBay using my credit card, which at the time I thought I had paid with PayPal, but I went and I looked and found out that I just paid with, you know, my credit card through there. And, um, so on, on eBay side, I get seller protection and all or buyer protection and all that. And it basically goes through PayPal. I just don't see the transaction ever hit my PayPal account, which is fine. I don't care. Uh, I'm paying for the item, right? He listed this with these options to pay. And now he's telling me, I don't want you to use PayPal. You know, listen, first off, you have to use PayPal or some form of PayPal or, or approved payment method through eBay. And if you don't, you're not going to get any seller protection. So at this point, I'm like, the hell man, like seriously. So I just basically said tough, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. It's already been paid. Um, I did tell him like, you can call PayPal and you can usually get the, uh, the hold lifted early once you can prove that I've actually got the guitar in my possession. And I said, I'll do whatever you need to make sure that happens. Um, which is, in my opinion, going above and beyond the call of duty. There's no expectation when you, when you buy or sell on eBay, that that's going to happen. And so be. I'm a nice guy. I'll take care of him. Right. Uh, the guy's only got a couple of sales on eBay, which, which tells me he's a noob. I, and I, and I knew that going into this and I figured there was going to be a little bit of, I don't know how to do this. So anyway, he shipped right away, which was fantastic. Like next day, the guitar is in the mail. Um, and he actually sent me the message after he put the guitar in the mail, which makes me wonder. It's like, well, you know, I've already processed the payment and I'm not backing out at that point. Uh, there actually is, from what I can tell, is there's no real way to back out of the payment since I didn't use PayPal and I can't cancel a pending transaction. So um, anyway, long story short, I'm looking at the pictures. I was going to post some pictures in the group. And just as I was about to post a picture, I see down in the lower corner of one of the photographs, I can see the nut and the pads for the nut are missing. Now, I didn't panic at first because I'm going, all right, so the pads are missing. That's going to be like, what, like five bucks a pad or three bucks a pad. Um, and I went to look. No, no, I've been asked for replacement parts, $10 a pad. Okay. And then the screws are an additional seven or eight bucks. So you're talking $38 for, for pads and screws for this thing. Now, the I knew the tremolo bar was missing from the pictures. I'm not expecting that to show up. Probably half the guitars that have a trem system don't show up with a tremolo bar anyway. So um, I already had like Googled around and I found some compatible replacements for around 15 bucks. If I want the actual Ibanez arm, I'm going to pay through the nose. It's going to be about 40 bucks because you have to buy the actual assembly that installs into the bridge. They actually revised this bridge and they came out with a version 1.1 of the trem arm assembly with a new trem arm. So uh, you can do that or you can install Floyd Rose compatible unit because it's basically the same hole size and all that, which may be what the way I end up going. Um, but I've, I, I kind of went panic full on panic mode. Cause I'm like, why in the hell I, I, I spent like 240, 250 something dollars on this guitar and 
Now I'm going to have to drop, you know, almost a hundred dollars in parts. Basically is is the way I'm looking at it. It's like 40 bucks for, for uh, the two, the, the uh, nut stuff. And then like, you know, 30 to 40 bucks for, for trim arm. If I, if I redo the, the uh, assembly. So I, I started to panic a little bit. I got, I got really ticked off at it and I was like, you know what? This guitar shows up. If the parts aren't in the bag, I'm just going to ship it back to the guy and tell him to go fuck himself. Um, and I'm I'm still like kind of leery about it, but I talked to uh, to Pat at Good Time Music. He says he can he can help me out, uh, and he can probably get me replacement parts for it. They, they got a bin in the back for like not a whole lot of money, like fifteen bucks or something. So I'm like, all right, that's fantastic. Now if that works out, this is the pickup mule for for the show, and I'll just move on. And I'm tired of saying pickup mule too. We need to come up with some other term like like pickup monstrosity or, or I don't know. Um, but this led me on a really interesting excursion yesterday. I went out at 11 o'clock in the morning. Actually, it would have been earlier than that. I left at 10. I ate breakfast. Then I went to the store at 11. I was at Sam Ash at 11 o'clock when they opened. And I was at Guitar Center, uh, one of the guitar centers, at like noon. Okay. And then I went to Good Time Music afterwards. And I was there for like four or five hours. And cause you know, it's, it's the community center. Like everybody goes there and they just hang out and talk and like, yeah, it's fine. So, um, when I went into, um, Sam Ash, I saw two RGs. They have this thing, RGA now, which is basically the RG with a, with a like contoured body. Um, and so I played two of those. I didn't really think much of them. They were kind of pricey for what they were. I went over to Guitar Center. I played uh, an RGSA. I think it's an RGSA. And well, anyway, so it's got a, it's got like a maple top and a, and an ash body. Of course, if you've seen the RG body, it's pretty thick. That guitar probably weighed upwards of twelve pounds. It was. It's one of the heaviest guitars I've ever taken off the rack, next to a Jim Root. Um, I guess it was a Jazzmaster that that uh, fender puts out that's the heaviest guitar i've had in my hands so now i after i i picked that one up at guitar center when i went to good time i picked theirs up they have one that's slightly less weight but it's still like probably nine pounds it, it's just ridiculous for any strat style guitar to be that heavy um and uh oh jim sorry <laughs> I wasn't muted. <laughs> Do I need to get you some Bino? Wait, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, I think Jim muted us. All right, all right. Uh, I did. I muted us. He's adjusting his microphone was, was, in the podcast, and it's was, like, it was just absurd. It was great. I, I love was, it. I, Jim, I didn't realize that thing would come through. I usually mute myself while I'm not talking. You didn't get ice and from so, the ice machine. You're not getting a slushy. It's fine. I, uh, I was, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't fart or take it to the bathroom. So not um, yet, not yet. I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, there's always uh, room. It's <laughs> always room for Jello. Hold my beer. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I went to when I went to Guitar Center yesterday. First of all, I don't want to call them a pickup mule either. I kind of want to call it just a a guitar for pickup. It's so a, I don't know. It's a pickup I, I, apparatus. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a um, uh, like a parts 
guitar first. It's a whole <laughs> each, each time, you know, you're just, it's your, it's your, um, it, uh, what do you call it? Uh, when you're, when you're just, uh, um, trying new things out in it. It's people uh, in the group suggest a name for what these yeah. things will be called. <laughs> yeah. I can't come up with anything good, but I don't like the term mule. Cause it kind of, it kind of makes it, it gives it a negative connotation. Yeah. I mean, I, I I fully intend on keeping mine after this yeah. and either well, using you know it for the same for strap, process so. or yep. I'm going to just play it. I, yeah, this one I'm going to keep at the end of all this. I'll keep it. Um, but uh, it's for um, changing out the single, sco- single coils because I don't really have anything that I want to change single coils out in. And I imagine because I never did like standard Fender. I mean, it, it's a possibility. I never did, really did like standard Fender um, uh, single coil pickups. Did you get a chance uh, to play the Legacy? Oh, 60s. Oh, so yeah, that was what I was getting at. So I got there and the Legacy had sold like an hour before I got there. That's not surprising. You that? That's not surprising. Yeah. No. Um, it only takes few, one guy. There are a few nice, yeah, there are a few nice guitars still there. There's a, a modern player, although I wasn't crazy. It does have pickup rings. But they, it, it's a, when I say that thing's a modern player, it's a player. I mean, that thing has been played and, um, nothing wrong with it. Um, as far as that goes, it played really nice. Um, only $379. Um, but one, it's the modern player when they were still made in China. Yeah. I think they've moved them into, uh, the modern player was made in China. Squire yeah, or Fender? No, it's a, it's a Fender. I don't think Fender has ever made anything in China. Yeah, Squire that, has made stuff in China. Let me put it to you this way. Either that or somebody swapped that. That's probably why it's so cheap. Yeah. Somebody swapped that, that neck me. out. They, I can or tell they you right just now, put the water slide logo on to make it look like it says Fender, the decal. Yeah, because that thing is definitely. Um, send me, yeah, send me yeah, a picture. I'll verify. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard because it's a. I should get a picture in person um, because I put uh, I put that thing um, through with the ringer. Um, it was all right. I was okay with it. It just um, didn't really come across to me as um, one that I really wanted to get. Anytime a guitar, a Fender like that is is heavier than a Les Paul, I'm not really. Is that on the back of the headstock? You can see on the back of the headstock, you can see the CE right across the back, plain as day. Oh, well, that and just it's means it's certified for export. That's what CE means. Yeah, but the um, C and the serial number, you can't see it. Oh, no, I, I can't see the serial number. Well, yeah, I don't know that that necessarily. Yeah, I think, the, I think the serial numbers for the Mexicans all start with M. I think Amer- the Americans start with, um, they don't start with A, they're with D. Uh, this might be a counterfeit guitar. I'm not, I'm not, I can't, or I can't honestly or say it's a, it's the right guitar, wrong neck. Yeah. But it won't see fender on it. Then they would have had to, they would have had to modify the logo. True. And that's, and it's not, not that that's not done. Believe me, people definitely do it. Um, all the time. In fact, I would be lying if I said, I didn't know people who are like, Oh yeah, I've done it before. Um, well, maybe somebody in the group can tell us if the, uh, serial numbers that, um, that start with C, I think it's CS or C. Yeah, I want to say it started with a CS. Because the first thing I do is flip the neck, look at the back, and look at the serial number. 
And if I see a C in there, I typically go. Well, nope. C is collector series. It's C with the six digits afterwards. That's they consider that their collector series. I'm looking at the serial number decoder right now. Oh, really? Yeah. So C is not China on that in that case. All right. So that's a collector series. Yeah. Then that that makes sense. I. Then Honestly, I don't know. Sense. The only time I ever look up the serial number is like right before I'm about to buy it. I'll Google it and find out the yeah. pedigree. Because, because in all honesty, um, you know, I'm more. I, even if it was a counterfeit guitar, like I, that just means I'm going to pay less for it. If I've already decided up to that point, I'm just going to, you know, argue for less money. I got to play something that was super, super cool. Um, that you've never played before, Jim, and I know you've never played it before because it's one of a kind. Um, so at Good Time Music, uh, hanging in their used gear was a, a Stratocaster with a flat, ba- flat black nitrocellulose finish, um, black pit guard, black Floyd Rose trim, um, a Frankenstein humbucker. Slanted in the pit guard, right? Just ever so slightly. Yep. Um, with a EVH style neck with a fender headstock, right? And I picked it up off the rack, and I play. And I was playing around with it, and there was a guy who's actually standing there talking to Pat when I'd come in. And it turns out he made the guitar, right? Oh. So he's got his hang hanging there on consignment. And honestly, oh. if it weren't Year of No Gear, that would be hanging in my bedroom right now because it was one of the coolest guitars I've ever put my hands on. Wow. Um, played really well. The Floyd Rose was a shaler, so it was, you know, it was a German made Floyd. Um yeah. it had, you know, it, it actually he put a he put a trem block in it so you couldn't so you couldn't pull up. Um it reminded me of some of the like real deal um Charvels I played from like the mid eighties. Um you don't see them too often anymore, but I used to see them more often. And uh I'd always wanted one. I could never afford them. They were, they were really expensive when I'd see them around. Um, and I know they're way more expensive now than they were back then. Um, yeah. but it was a, it was a killer guitar. The guy told me, he said, I, I made that guitar. He's like, the, the, the neck is not a prefab. He's like, I made the neck myself. He could tell me all the specs. He's a compound radius. Um, he used the, he copied the neck curve from, um, one of the PV Wolf gangs and it's, it's, it's asymmetrical. And, um, I know, maybe it was a Fender Wolf game. I don't know, but it's asymmetrical. And then he, uh, you know, obviously sourced the pickups from Seymour Duncan and like the everything else about it was was uh, homemade, including the pick guard. Um, Where was this? This was a good time music. It won't be on their site. Oh, it's used guitar. So, oh, they don't put their used stuff on their no, site. No, not usually. Well, I mean, they have a reverb store, but I don't think that's going to be listed on a reverb. So this guy's selling on consignment, and I talked to him because I said. Dude, I said you you found me at the worst possible time because he was actually there to pick it up. He was going to take it home, and he's like, "I met, I build too many guitars." He's like, "I have them hanging all over the house, and like they're all in cases and stuff." And he's like, "I, I just need to get rid of a couple of them." And he's like, "I decided that this one needed to move on." And uh, right. but but he gave me his number, and he said, "When your coat no gear is up, he's like, I'll probably still have this guitar. Give me a call." So How nice. I uh, or if not, he'll make me one. So uh, I I was. Super excited. I think that's a very, very cool guitar. The guy knows his shit. I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah. It's one of the best hand-built guitars that I've, you know, laid hands on from a, from a no-name builder. So I don't know what he does for a living. I think he, I think he puts in floors or something. So he's a carpenter. 
but he, man, he knows his shit as far as building guitar goes. Yeah. I was, I was really impressed. Um, it takes a lot to impress me. So. Well, as you can see, I don't know strats as well as, you know, Fenders is, uh, have always been um, the one that, uh, the brand that I've always been weakest with only because I don't know, th- there have been so many permutations with them. It's just hard for me to keep track of. Um, one minute of you're looking at a modern player and it's, and it's here and the next minute it's there. And it, I, I have, we've joked about this at the shop, uh, at a good time that like, so I, at some point Fender has made one of their guitars twice under different model numbers, yeah. under different model yeah. names. Like now I'm not just talking about like American standard versus professional series or whatever. I, I'm right. talking about like they made a 50 strat, you know, in Mexico with these pickups and this thing and called it one thing. And then later on, four or five years later, after that guitar got canceled, they made it again, you know, and under a different name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, how many times, um, yeah. Have they redone the fifties, the fifties, uh, Stratocaster and, um, what was it? The, remember the, Oh crap. It was the, the inexpensive American series called the, Oh crap. Highway one was yeah. it highway oh, yeah, one the series? highway ones. Well, the highway one was supposed to age. That was the whole point of that because it was the predecessor to, um, it was the predecessor to the uh, Roadworn series. So right. when that when they canceled Highway One, they came out with Roadworn, and the whole point of Highway One was that thin skin nitrocellulose finish was supposed to you're supposed to be able to just wear the shit out of it. I've seen them beat to hell. Um, that that you know the the only problem I had with that line was the pickups were not as good. As what you would get in, I don't know. They were they were better than the American Standard pickups, I think, in my opinion. I just don't think that they were right for that kind of guitar. They were almost like somewhere yeah. between the the Big Dippers and uh, the uh, Texas Specials. So, yeah. Well, sorry, folks. Nice catch. Nice catch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at least I muted. Um, there was a, there have been a lot of um, uh, different Stratocasters in the past. I've always liked the Deluxe series. I've always um, uh, enjoyed that uh, American Deluxe. But there's been a lot of talk about. I, I want to talk about that. So you and I both talked about the um, the players, the modern player. You talking about the uh, elite? No, the modern player. And you went and tried some. You said you just didn't. Oh, you, that, that's the new Mexican guitar, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I played, uh, I played two this weekend. Um, both of them had friends that were poking the shit out of me, uh, which is something that I had not really experienced on prior Mexican guitars. I played, I know it's a problem with them. Like people have talked about it before. Um, I felt that the pickups were better than what they were years ago. They're still not great. Uh, they were kind of wimpy. They didn't really have a whole lot of output for that for that style of pickup. Uh, the the color combination I I the, of the one that I played the longest was green, and it was uh, like a mint pickguard. I liked the way it looked, um, and I liked the way the neck felt. I just felt like there were some things that could have been done better on the guitar. The uh, the uh, heel the pocket was not that great. Um, I didn't notice any finish flaws. Uh, I didn't look the guitar super hard over. Um, I just, once I noticed that the frets were, were like really bad, 
uh, sticking out the side, like more so than usual. Um, uh, be honest with you. I played squires recently that don't have any of that going on. So it's like, what's going on here? I, I figure what's happened is the guitar has been in the store. The store is drier than the climate it was produced in. And so therefore uh, the, the front ends are now poking out. That's, yeah. that's the only thing I can think of. So, uh, well, and it was like, so it's a maple neck, but a satin finish, which means more moisture can evaporate through the, through the neck yep. kind of deal. So that's probably what's going on. Um, but yeah. So Fender, make your necks in a very dry environment so that you can shave down the neck properly before you send them out. I mean, obviously the American ones are made in California, right? They're still made in, uh, where is it? Uh, uh, Corona. Not Coronado. Corona. Corona. Yeah. Yeah. The, the place named after the beer. <laughs> I'm sure the beer is named after the blaze. Come on. I'm I'm a hundred percent sure of that. Um, yeah. So then you've also got the, uh, um, the new Fender limited series, uh, um, the standard strap HSS. That was another one I looked at. I actually liked that guitar, but it's an HSS. And if I wind up keeping the Stratocaster, I kind of am looking for. You already a, have a, a Strat loaded with humbuckers. Right. There may be many humbuckers, so why but they're would, still humbuckers. Right, but they're still humbuckers. Where I need a Strat that's loaded with Strat pickups. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be against noiseless. Um, right. If I were going to buy a Strat today, I wouldn't buy anything except, uh, well, I would start by looking at the, um, what's the, the, the top of the line one though. I can't remember. Elite. I had the elite. Yeah. I kept thinking ultimate. I don't know why. Um, I wouldn't, st- I wouldn't look at anything other than the, the elite because number one, it has all the things that I would get on it anyway. Uh, it has a compound neck, which I'm sorry at this, in this day and age, Fender yeah. should be offering pretty much every guitar that they make above $1,500 with a compound net radius. Yeah. Not, nine and a half inches for a lot of people is not adequate to get low action and not have the guitar fret out above the, tw- above the like 10th fret. Um, I mean, my guitar is right now. Uh, I would, I would shoot for a 12 inch radius impossible, but if it's going to be, if I have to make a compromise and they want to keep it feeling somewhat, uh, accurate i would be fine with compound um i don't think so they really killed it on the standards with the color choices although i feel like there could be more color choices um granted they have a huge line and so if you want a different color you just get one of the other ones um i feel like if i was really in the market though i would probably go for like a custom shop and it would have to be like like a 60 or 61 custom shop reissue type deal. Um, But at this point, I mean, their custom shop guitars are like three grand and I can go get guitars from smaller builders that are every bit as good as their custom shop stuff for, you know, a fraction of that price. It it almost doesn't make sense anymore. Um, Case in point, I can go to Nash for two grand, right? And Nash is basically like a roughed up, Fender Strat with with Lawler pickups in it, which in my opinion, Lawlers are better than what the Fender Custom Shop is. You can crucify me all day long; it's fine. Um, you know, I, I would be more more happy with that than I think than I would spending three grand on a guitar that has the Fender logo on the headstock. Yeah. That's my millennial sensibility because apparently we don't give a shit about 
logos and stuff. I don't know. That's what I've heard. Um, Oh, all of a sudden you don't forget you don't care about logos. Yeah, apparently all of a sudden. Uh, apparently, uh apparently millennials don't care they don't care about branding. They don't care about brand right. lineage. We just care about getting shit for cheap, which I don't see how that's possible when we're living in the age of the iPhone and uh you know the the Google Pixel, you know, it like you know what I mean? It's it's bullshit. It, the only time people care about branding is when it's something they're passionate about and as far as I know, most of the people that are buying like thousands and thousands of dollars of gear a year are passionate about it. Yeah. So. Yeah, there are. And they're, and they care. Um, I told you about the, uh, the guitars place I'm rehearsing. Um, yep. When I asked why would you, why would the person buy all these guitars? Plain and simple. Put them away. Collector. Yep. Sell them later. All right. Now I got, um, I got a guitar and the, and people can look this one up on the internet, but I, I got a picture of it and I'm going to pull it up on my phone. Um, I may post it in the group later. It's not, it's not much to look at, but I wanted to point this out. I was having a conversation with, with Pat at good time. We're going to have him on the show soon. I talked to him um, about it this weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a guitar that he bought the other day. It's from a company called custom craft. You ever heard of custom craft, Jim? Okay. So Custom Craft was this like USA built brand in probably the 60s. It may be slightly early, uh, just based on the way that this guitar actually looks. And I mean, this guitar has everything but the kitchen sink put into it in terms of like how they built it. It's got a some sort of knife edge vibrato that's very similar to a Bigsby, which is weird because a Bigsby is not a knife edge. It has, uh, at least to my knowledge, I, I don't have any experience with Bigsby, so I'm probably just running my mouth and saying things other than, you know, playing around with them in the store. Um, it's a bound neck. It has this crazy, like, it's almost like a pick guard on the headstock with a with a uh, a crest in it that's made out of metal and um, like a German carve around the headstock. And then uh, the it's bound, right? The whole guitar is bound. The the neck is bound, the body is bound, the pick guard is bound, the pick guard is made of aluminum, and it is elevated off the body of this guitar, which is sort of like a 335, right? It's it's elevated off the body of this guitar by, you know, a quarter of an inch or so. Um, it's thick. Uh, it has, like, lightning bolt-style F-holes. Um, and uh, he bought this guitar because somebody brought it in, and... He collects weird guitars. Like he, he told me, he said, I didn't, I didn't, I never wanted to become a collector, but he's like, I'd run across these weird pieces or people would bring them into the shop. And he's like, man, how cool is that? When you think about it, this guitar was probably had more, more effort put into the design of it than the things that actually took off and sold well from the major manufacturers like Gibson and Fender. Um, Yet nobody even knows who they were. Like today, we we just don't even know these brands. We know K, we know Airline, we know um, the Sears guitars, we know the Supro guitars because those guitars were inexpensive alternatives to what Fender and Gibson were making. But there were these other companies that were kind of on the fringe, and I would argue even Rickenbacker was one of them, um, who produced excellent quality instruments, but just kind of got overlooked. And so now they're they're out there, but 
Um, they don't go for a whole lot. So he says whenever he sees one of these like really weird pieces, he'll snap them up. But he's like, what what gets crazy? And you get into the some of the late 60s, early 70s Japanese stuff. He's like, you'll find guitars that have like like four layers of binding. And like there's like one layer of ivoroid binding. And then on the inside, there's like a layer of like tortoise shell binding. And he's like, then there's, you know, it's more ivory. And then like um, something else, you know, bound on the inside. Like and he's like, you know, the amount of time it took to actually do. And this is binding on an F hole. OK. And like the amount of time that it would spend to bind that. It just makes this guitar automatically like a loser because for the for for the guy that built it or the company that built it there's no way they were doing that automated i mean it was done by hand and today we look at this stuff and we go oh it's just silly because that was a beginner's guitar back then but then you look at it today and you're like nobody builds anything like this now no one we have the tools and we have the technology to do this stuff cheaply and no one's doing it and um so he's got he's got now he's got 40 something guitars and he says i play a handful. He's like maybe 10, but he told me he's, so this guitar has some missing binding. He's going to, uh, he's going to have the binding done in the shop there. And then, uh, this will go home and go up on the wall with his collection of other odd assorted instruments. But, um, yeah, I'm going to start hyping Pat for the show. When Pat, when Pat gets on here, it's going to get real people. Uh, <laughs> we, we were having a conversation. What was more like a, a yelling, yelling discussion, uh, <laughs> Pat, Pat has a very, um, outgoing personality. You might say he's, he's a lot like me in the regard that when he gets fired up, you're not going to stop him. So Jim and I will probably just ask a question and then sit back for 15 or 20 minutes when that happens. Cause it's kind of uh, like what I do to David now. Yeah, no, it's more like what I do to you. <laughs> I, uh, what was that? What did I ask earlier today in our, in our, uh, conversation? I don't know. Um, oh, I mentioned on our podcast, stealing your idea. Oh, yeah. I don't want to get specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's I not even. They're even using your guitar. And then uh, and then you got fired. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I'm like, they're not I fucking ripping me off. Like, where the hell are you at, Jim? And I knew you were winding me up to ask my wife because because she told like we were talking about it. And she's like, what's Jim doing? And I'm like, he's just winding me up. I'm like, he's, he's wanting to see how far he can push me before I get pissed. That was pretty much it. Yeah. It it doesn't take much, Jim. Trust me. I'm, I'm in therapy for anger management. Just so everybody (laughs) knows uh, I'm, I'm not kidding. That's why I'm in therapy right now. Um, Are you seriously in therapy? Yes, dude. I'm in therapy for anger management. Yes, I am. Like, I'm not even afraid to admit it. Um, What we're just, what we're discovering is the things that make me very angry are the things I can't control. So, um, that and uh, I have a lot of problems with a lot of people in my life. <laughs> I can see that. Um, yeah, I'm a zealot and I'm I'm the person that believes that we should be doing honorable things and trying to be honorable people. And so when I see somebody not being honorable, I'm in huge conflict with them. And then, like, it just stresses me out and I end up wanting to kill people. Yeah, um, not really kill people, but I get very angry and I know uh, you throw things and you get um, upset. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So now I have a happy place where I sit and I just calm down and it's, yep. it's helping. It's helping. Uh, you yep. wouldn't tell on this podcast, but it's helping. That's always good. Hey, Jim, I've never said anything to you out of anger. Like no. I, like I sometimes that little voice in the back of my head is like, you should just fucking tell him this. 
And like, I'm like, I'm like, just shut up, go away. <laughs> like, one of these days you're gonna get a text message where it's just be like, I fucking quit. And then you're gonna be like, what the hell happened? <laughs> it was the little voice in the back of my head. I don't really quit. He just said that. <laughs> well, you know, so I, I get used to it. I, I'm I'm all right with that. <laughs> I'm not gonna quit on you, Jim. Relax. I know you're not. show listeners, I'm in this for the long haul. I might threaten to quit, but I'm not going to quit. I might say I quit, but I'll still show up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, that's I'm not worried about you. Hill family way. Now. Believe me, this runs in the family. So this is the Hill family way. <laughs> yep. I'm not worried about you running off on me. No, no, no way. No, I can't. I can't. Happen. We're like, we're like handcuffed together, Jim. Exactly. And you're not Psychic handcuffs. Sounds like a Blue Oyster Cult song. It sounds more like psychotic handcuffs, maybe. (laughs) What is that? What is the Blue Oyster Cult song about? Flaming telepaths? Yeah. I I don't even want to know if that connotation in the title was, like, intended. At this point, I just don't want to know. Yep. No, I don't either. Like that. I don't want to keep that to uh, keep that to themselves. for, for For show listeners who haven't put this together yet. Is it similar to the Black Sabbath song, Fairies with Boots On? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fairies Wear Boots. Yeah, is that what it is? Is that the actual title, Fairies Wear, wear Boots? Yeah, I think it's Fairies Wear Boots. Or fairies Wear Boots. Kind of fairies wear fairies boots. with Boots On. You gotta believe me. Yeah, okay. Know, something yeah. about fairies and boots. Yeah, whatever. Let's see. I, I just know that I, I was never a big fan of that um, song. <laughs> Neither was uh, neither was I, and certainly not the message. Um, but again, I grew up in a different time, and so um, yeah, it was fairies wear boots. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's funny to listen to some of that esoteric stuff, uh, and I say esoteric in like the nicest possible way, that, because you kind of look back and you go, "Well, that was an ass backwards idea," but this song is really good. Like it's, it's a well written song. Well, <laughs> you know, so you think about. Sabbath didn't really start out as a metal band, so to speak. No, kind of, no, not uh, at all. They created metal. Yeah. I, the genre not, I would put them in, I know people call them doom metal. I would put them into proto metal because yeah. they created the prototype. It was like them, Deep Purple, and Led Zeppelin were the three first metal bands. Yeah, the grandfathers of metal. Where I always used to say when I, when I would sing um, uh, Neil Young, I would say his grandfather punk. He was. He was. Yeah, in some ways. Um, I, so there are some guys that, especially for punk music, who you would never think had like the punk rockest attitudes you'll ever find in music. Neil Young is one of them. I yep. hate Neil Young, but he. But you're right. Um, the other one I think of is Peter Gabriel, and and before yeah. you go crazy. Because, like, obviously his 80s output is, like, not anything like that. But when he was in no. Genesis, he was the yeah. angriest fucking kid. Like, it was yeah. unbelievable how much anger he was channeling in his lyrics. And the the, the way he sang sounded yep. very much like the, the, the people that came out, like, right after him in punk music. And um, the album I think of is um, uh, The Lamb Lies Down, where he does back in New York City. He talks about... about uh, his Molotov cocktails and like, he's going to burn the city to the ground. And he like goes around raping and, you know, pillaging basically. And yep. uh, yeah, 
that if they ain't anything more punk rock than that, you know, it's, uh. Oh yeah. I mean, when you think about it, that predates the New York dolls. It predates, uh, predates the all of, yeah. Predates, Cause that, that album came out in 74. Yeah. Um, now nobody listened to it, but it came out in 74. <laughs> um, you know, you take, you take like, um, the hardcore fans of Fleetwood Mac, right? There, there are two kinds of Fleetwood Mac fans. The ones who like Fleetwood Mac post Stevie Nicks and, and Lindsey Buckingham and pre Stevie, Stevie Nicks. Lindsay yeah. The, you mean the Peter Green fans or whatever? Yes. Well, Peter Green and uh, who was the guy that, that uh, Bob, um, he did the song, your eyes got me running. Yeah. Uh, eyes. Um, but Bob, oh shit, Bob something runner. Anyway. Uh, I actually like that song. Um, you know, it, there is a definitive difference in the way bands, they used to call it the the break. When a band would get its big break, that was when it, quote unquote, broke the band. Yeah. People who liked um, sticks loved the old sticks, you know, everything up yeah. to and including, um, oh, what's it, the Grand Illusion. Right. Then it kind of went, well, now they've now they've got money, got big production value. Yeah, because you know what? Everybody hates the Mr. Roboto record. Oh, jeez, yes. Okay, it's the concept of the record is terrible. Yeah. It's just stupid. But yeah. the the songs and the actual like production is not bad. And I know people. I'm gonna get. I'm probably gonna get hate mail for saying that. But I like that's one of my favorite records they did. Now, granted, I still like Grand Illusion and the stuff prior to that. Grand um, Illusion's got to be my favorite record, but of all of them, and it's probably one of the shortest. Yeah, even it, it, than it's, Crystal Ball. it's a really, really short record. Crystal Ball is good too. Um, but I'm just saying, um, I grew up on hearing that shit in TV commercials and stuff. So for when I hear Mr. Roboto, like that album, um, yes, that song is so stupid. But the the vocal hook. Like if you put different lyrics to it, it would have been great. Yeah. But yeah, the concept, the concept of it was kind of just the stupid, lame. like I'm going to put on a mask and all this, like, well, it's if, been done if you, before. If you listen to him, oh, by the way, folks, it was Bob Welch. Bob That's Welch. Yeah. Earlier. Um, if you listen to the, to the song and you, and, and you try to think of the concept that, that, uh, of what, um, Oh, what's the name? De- Dennis DeYoung was trying to do. It was a completely different type of thing, right? Theater rock. Yeah, it was. He he had a concept, and the concept was that music was being pumped out um, by people who said, "Okay, good hook here, insert good vocal thing here, and insert this here, and insert this here." I mean, yeah, the it had been done before um, by just about. I mean, Pink Floyd did it with "Welcome to the Machine." I mean, we had, uh, you know, we could go back to, uh, what was the, um, the who out, al- uh, quadru- was it Quadrophenia? Uh, multiple albums were like that. Where they, yeah. Where they talked about that well, kind even, of that. Even who's next, but who's next was out of order and missing a couple of songs. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, because they really Quadrophenia was a mess too, because, but, oh, I because love, of how they, I love Quadrophenia, but it was the way that they chopped it up and stuff because they had right. the, it was on multiple records. And then, um, 
Well, I say it's a mess only because Pete Townsend had a different, completely different view. Yeah, I think we would have seen a completely different album had Pete Townsend had a little more control, but he was starting to lose control himself. Well, Tom, well Tommy well. was also Tommy. the rock yep. opera thing. And, I and, love Tommy. And a lot of other bands have done it. I mean, I, Genesis did it. That's why I was talking about Lamb Lies Down. That's a, it's a yeah. double album that's a concept album. Yeah. So, um, Pink Floyd. Yeah, I mean, and all these groups like are it. in some in some way theater rock in the sense that when you go to see them, they have like a, a stage show that incorporates elements of the music into what they're doing, and um, yeah. some more than others. So yeah. Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden did that. They were they were incredibly theatric when they when mm-hmm. you would go to see them. Didn't matter which album you went to see. The tours after uh, Bruce Dickinson joined from you know from six 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 number the beast on incredible. Yeah, uh, uh, big walking robots and yep. all other sorts of craziness. I mean, you got Pink <laughs> Floyd Eddie's actually building out. a goddamn wall on stage. Oh, uh, yeah, that was yeah. all with cardboard um, that had to be broken down and then folded up and put into a trailer to go to the next place, which is why they would do like four shows in Madison yeah. Square Gardens or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. When you, what I was trying to get at is bands would would once they hit a certain point, they would become a different band. You look at Foreigner, Foreigner was really rough and raw. And then you had Foreigner Four and then it all went to like post productive nonsense. Um yep. Journey had their big thing and, and nothing wrong with the I, I think their songs are timeless, but still once they had that big what is it, escape? Is it escape? First? Yeah, I think so. But they had a um, bunch of albums before that, like a bunch, like eight or ten. I mean, it's just nuts. And yeah. and, and and you won't recognize if you've never listened to Journey, like listen to those records, you won't recognize probably fifty percent of their material. Well, the well, the people who like Tusk won't go back in the um, the uh, um, Fleetwood Mac archives and like the stuff that came out before that. Yeah, yeah. They're just hey, not going to like it. Yeah, well, you're talking about that, them having that, that distinct dividing line. I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that Rumors was so popular and so different to what had come before it that, I mean, they were, with Peter Green, they were basically a blues band. I mean, right. and, and then as soon as Lindsey Buckingham comes in and starts, like, inflecting with all the folk, um, and I, yes, obviously it's partially Stevie Nicks thing, too, that's when the band changes. And I think that's when a lot for a lot of people like that's Fleetwood Mac to them. Right. You had Fleetwood Mac at Bear Trees but play but, on. But there's ones there. Their situation is really unique in the sense that they almost changed genres when they right. when they brought in new people. It wasn't like they were still trying to accomplish the same thing. Case in point, uh, Dream Theater. Right. Uh, yeah. They lost the guy that basically organized that band and, and was responsible for a lot of the promotion efforts, Mike Portnoy several years ago. And when he left, Mangini came into filling his shoes and everybody thought there was going to be like this whole genre change that happened there because Mangini is a straight up metal drummer. Like he's a metal madman, and it didn't happen. And I think that that's really interesting. And it just tells you like how, how writing works in that band to an extent because the new guy didn't really get the, the put your wings on and, and let's do what you want to do uh, kind right. of treatment. So, right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
who else were we talking about? Oh, um, Journey. Um, Journey was a jam band. Yeah. And most of it didn't have lyrics. And what lyrics they did have, um, the previous keyboard player um, and the uh, drummer sang. So it was a completely different, completely different group. Sticks did not have Tommy Shaw. Um, it so only, they had a, It only came, it came out in 1975. And if you want to know what it sounds like, just listen to Carlos Santana. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it because that was their band. Yeah. It was half of it. Yeah, it is. It's you know, Greg Raleigh, Neil Show. Yep. yep. <laughs> they pulled the half the melodic part Ainsley of the Dunbar. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then uh and then, you know, it's almost and it's funny thing is because so so it happens in nineteen seventy five. Um Santana records like two two other albums that are really good and then basically goes into semi retirement in terms of putting together material that is like exceptional until supernatural in like 1998 or 99. Can you imagine having like a 20 year dry spell like that and then come out with, with supernatural, which is one of the biggest records of all time. I know it's, it's so weird. And then he had um, that other hit uh, on the next album with, um, uh, was it Nora Jones? Yeah. Uh, that's, I Jones? think that's supernatural too. Was that on supernatural? Yeah. Well, yeah. let's do supernatural. The, it worked once. Let's, let's just come out with Supernatural. Clive, da- Clive Davis is like, let's do it again. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of weird stuff. Um, so anyway, single, um, single coil uh, Stratocaster style guitars. Let's, let's try to get back on focus here. We're, we, uh, we talked a lot about those. We're at, we're at 117. I guess we kind of. Uh, no, we can keep going. We're, at, we're only at 113, Jim. Oh, 113? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, if, if you're looking, I'm not a big, sing, I haven't been a big single style, single coil guy. Um, but there is obviously an element of why people love single coil guitars. What is it that draws you? Because you are a Strat guy. It's not just the single coil. It's the whole, the whole S thing. style. Yeah, it's the whole thing. And you, and you just got this Ibanez in the mail. What is well, it's it not that, in yet. Oh, it's not in. No, yet? it doesn't come until Tuesday. Oh, okay. So I thought you got it. No, not until Tuesday. Oh. Okay. Um, what is it about the Strat? What is it about the single coil? Well, number yeah. one, I I I've always struggled to get good clean tones out of a humbucker. Um, I've always felt like they're not. They don't have the um, the, the glassiness that you get from a Strat pickup. They don't have the sparkle that you get from a strap pickup. And that's that is really the core reason why I've gravitated towards them over the years. Um my love for fuzz actually comes from my love for the strat, not vice versa. Um, because I think the stratocaster and the, the, the way the pickups are set up, the design of the pickups, the way that you have the switching arrangement and all that allows you to do some unique things with certain types of effects like that 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 lends itself to them so for example they're a relatively low output pickup you're going to find them anywhere from 5k up to 8k uh if you get some super hot wild ones you can go you know through the stratosphere with that but um in general like your off-the-shelf strat stock pickups are not going to be super hot um and i think that's what 
indents them to fuzz. They don't like if you take a really hot pickup and you throw it in front of a fuzz pedal, it's not going to sound right. Um, so I think that it worked the other way because I was always a distortion like overdrive guy. Um, I didn't get into overdrive really until I'd been playing like 10 to 12 years. It just didn't do anything for me. There was partially because I was always looking for more saturation. Like many young guitar players, my whole thing was, how do I get that liquid sustain? Now I'm running the opposite direction. How do I get clarity and distance between notes? Um, and that's why I'm looking at overdrive pedals. I'm looking for um, boosts and things like that now, uh, which is totally different. And it all comes from the fact that the Strat has actually influenced my playing. So there's this whole feedback loop that happens. Use a player, play the guitar, right? And then based on the sound of the guitar and what it's capable of doing, you will favor certain things. And I've heard Steve Vai talk about the, sa- the same thing. Like when you're when you're a guitar player starting out and you play a Les Paul, you're going to play different music than somebody who's a Strat player, just just based on the the sheer sonics of what the guitar sounds good doing. And it's almost a subconscious thing because you don't even realize you're doing it. Um, for me, once I realized that I could be extremely rhythmic with it and I could, I can do all that raking and stuff and it gets this really percussive thing going on. Um, I have not found a guitar as percussive as a Stratocaster. And I know people will tell you that, that Atelier can do it too. I, I can make a Stratocaster, uh, so chunky when, when I'm playing rhythm stuff that it's just stupid. Um, it's just, it, it all comes down to knowing how that bridge works. I think there's also a relationship that happens between where you pick. Uh, and I've noticed that certain strat players, well, I've noticed the strat players tend to pick between the, the middle and the neck pickup more than the bridge and the, the middle pickup. I'm actually more of a bridge middle guy myself, but the guys that are really famous for it, they're moving their pick around to get different dynamics and what they're doing. You want to see a guy who's a master at it? Stevie Ray Vaughan does it all the time. And I think that's more responsible for a sound than people realize. He'll pick over the neck and he does it all the time. It, yeah, he, he'll literally go over that last fret. Uh huh. And it has to do with the, the harmonics that come out of the string by doing that. Um, now, you have to be careful when you're doing that. You can't pick as hard as he did. I don't know how the fuck he got away with it. And I think a lot of that's breaking when he's doing it. Uh, because if the string, like, like, let's say you pick at the 20, the 21st fret, right? What happens is the string just going to go as far as it can. I'm making a very wide motion with my hand, uh, across the pickup magnet and across the fret and you're going to get buzz. And it's, and it's almost going to be like doing a a pop, you know, where you pull the string up and let it slap against the fretboard. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it'll be on a lateral way. Um, and I think those kinds of things come from the fact that you gravitate towards one instrument or another. There's probably, as I said, it's like a feedback loop. So if you don't jive well with what the guitar is telling you to do, and you don't just suddenly get it, then you're going to gravitate towards another guitar. And that's, I think that's the way it works for a lot of people. Uh, the Strat does that for me. And it, it really just comes down to, the, if, I actually probably should point this out. When I first got a Strat, I wanted a professional level guitar. And that was the way I looked at it. I didn't care if it was a Les Paul. I didn't care if it was a Stratocaster. I didn't care if it was a Yamaha. I didn't care what the hell it was. But I ended up with a Strat. I actually didn't like the sound of it. I modified it. And then as time went on, I gravitated towards it. 
And it was like, this is what I have. So I need to learn how to use it properly. And as I started exploring it more and more, I started to realize I can do this. And I actually really like the sound of it. I don't think a Strats guitar that the first time you pick it up, you play it, you're going to get pretty sounds out of it. It's going to be pretty ugly. It takes some time to coax good sounds from a Stratocaster. It really does. Um, I think there are a lot of other guitars out there that you can just pick them up and play them right off the rack, and they're going to sound really good. Les Pauls are a good example. SGs are a good example. Um, really, any of the Gibson guitars are going to sound fairly decent right off the rack. Stratocaster, the Telecaster. Telecaster probably even is easier, to be honest with you, because um, nobody picks up a Tele not expecting to get some twang out of it. But a Stratocaster, all your heroes who play Strats, you'll sound nothing like them. You won't. When you first pick it up, you will sound nothing like them because there's so much technique stuff that you have to learn how to do and, and learn, just learn by listening and realizing, oh, I'm, it, there's too much trouble here, so i got to adjust where I'm picking. And it, it's just you, you get it intuitively later. It takes a yeah. long time to learn to do it, though. I, yeah. As we come to a close, the one thing I'd like to maybe leave people with is when you're, when you're playing, um, what, is, what is your picking style? I've noticed that when I because I do try to um, video myself and then look back and say, okay, where have I been working? I do tend to go back and forth, but only between the two pickups. Like if I had a three pickup guitar, and I think that's the one reason I don't play a strap much is I tend to be in between those two. And so I kind of need that room. The, the other thing you're going to find that's real weird um is that strat players tend to have a much more narrow path of where they pick too. Whereas like you have, if you have to think about a humbucker guitar, your distance between your strings or between your pickups is like four inches or five inches. Huge. And strat players rarely deviate more than an inch or two, unless there's somebody like Stevie Ray, who's like using all these different positions to do different things. But I mean, even like Mark Knopfler and he uses claw hammer style He's he has a very preferred position for his hand or his his uh, elbow to be anchored against the the contour and yep. where his hand sits. So. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that there are a lot of um, uh, strap players that I used to I used to watch. I don't know about now who play with a, a more um, when they're when they're playing solos. It, it, it's almost an anchored position. Yep. That's and how I've I seen am. a lot of the pinky anchors too. That's how I am. Um, be careful with that though, because if you're hooking onto your volume knob, you will turn, you will screw up the volume while you're playing. Yeah. It will happen. It happens all the time to me. Um, so I've actually gotten really good at not doing it, but I'd like to put my pinky over the volume knob in that, in that area of the guitar, because it, it does give me an anchor. I know that I've been reading in various like manuals and stuff that people say, don't do that. Look, do what works for you. That's um, right. So I don't anchor, but that's because I, I was brought up not to. So I tend to tend to play with a more closed hand, but that makes it harder to do this. You know, it's harder to do uh, a lot of things. Yeah. When so. you've got it closed off. So I've been trying to get it a little more, you know, open, but you can, there's, there's downsides to both. Yeah, sure. Definitely downsides to both. All right. Well, uh, we are in an hour and 23 minutes, so we're going to call this episode. I have been David. And I have been Jim. And we have been the bickering practical guitarists. Yes, very much so. Bickering. Yeah.